1: Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set.
2: We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and
3: Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. It's Friday, so we're recapping The Captain. What was it, Episodes 5 and 6? Not gonna lie, Scott, uh, first half of Episode 5, really, really unpleasant.
2: Yeah, we knew it was coming. We knew it was coming chronologically. That was the next thing to happen. So, uh, I, I'm, look, I appreciate them kind of alluding to the fact that it was coming at the end of the... Uh, at the end of the last episode. So if you really wanted to, you could just skip the first 10, 15 minutes of of uh, episode five, and then you'd miss the whole 2004 debacle. But look, I sat there just numb watching it and and hearing back um, all of the different aspects of, uh, you know, I don't think I had heard some of the things that Millar had said, which are annoying. Um, oh, I, I had heard that. I, I There were a couple of things. I, most of it I had heard, but... Yeah, it was, it was not fun. It was not fun to watch, no doubt. Like, okay, let's just move forward and, and get past that. But it is part of the story. It is part of the story. And there's no things. D- and there were some things in there that we'll talk about. I see in the notes here, I'm a, uh, the way that Jeter responded to some of the things I thought was actually slightly annoying to me, but go ahead.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah, so there was a couple things from that portion of the documentary, the 04 collapse, that I found interesting and I definitely want to talk about. Um, the, uh, the first is that this is we've mentioned it before. Arod actually had a pretty good postseason um, in two thousand four, and it's just completely forgotten about because obviously the collapse. Like of course it's forgotten about, but you know that is noted because he was sort of known as a Yankee for postseason failures. He was terrible. 05, 06, 07 postseasons. Like the numbers were terrible. But 0-4, he actually had a pretty good postseason. And had the team gone on to the World Series, I think we would have all had a different opinion of A-Rod in the postseason. The other thing is I actually liked his response to the the glove slap incident where he's just like, hey, I was trying to do anything I possibly could, right? He's like, should I have just sat there like a good boy and gotten tagged? Sure, but I didn't. You know, I I actually appreciated his response to that. yeah. (laughs) You know everything that he
2: says, you have to. I, I have to take with with a grain of salt here because it's like the way that he even says it annoys me a, a little bit for for whatever reason. It's just like everything. The, the, his mannerisms are, irk me and 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 get under my skin. Um, I understand in the heat of the moment, you're you're trying to do anything you can to get to that to get to that base, right? You're doing absolutely anything, and in when you watch it in real time. It's actually not as egregious as it looks in slow motion. When you slow that thing down, that play and you see it in slow motion, it's egregious. Hand open, full slap, hand down, trying to knock the ball out. It it's uh it's a lot. But when you see it in full motion, it's just like, you know, it's almost like get away from me, kind of slap the hand down. It's not as bad. So I, that that's that's not the play. That's not the A-rod play in the field and this has nothing to do with the captain. But the one where he, where he like Kels, I got it, I got it, I got it. When he's running the base path, I f-
3: oh, forget in Toronto? what the
2: situation. It was in Toronto. That's yeah. that's the most A Rod play of all time history for me. It's like it's such a douchey move, such a douchey move. Whereas this one, I understand is a little bit more instinctual. You're just trying to get there, and and for whatever reason he's trying to tag you. You're you're trying to avoid it. You know, knock it away, whatever it is. So I actually have less of a problem with this one. Because he was out no matter what. Like, whether he yeah. was called out from the, from the slap or he was tagged out, like would have happened, he was out. So it, it actually didn't affect
3: anything. Right. And then they, they, the documentary touched on all of the missed, near missed opportunities that the Yankees had in games four and games five. Um, and then afterwards, how Jeter and Posada obsessed over the loss. Jeter was six to his stomach, about the Manny sign, Jeter's golfing. And then the, the nugget about Posada timing himself. On the throwdown to second base, he's like, it was 1.9, whatever he said, 1.91 seconds. Yeah. Like I, I, he's, he obsessed over it. And I actually found that so, sort of oddly oddly comforting in, in a way where it's like, I know how I felt as just a dumb 16-year-old fan after the Yankees collapsed. I obsessed over it the entire offseason. It's nice to know that the millionaires also were obsessing over it. And obviously, it, it, they felt worse than I did as a fan. But the fact that like I could relate to them just for that split second was, was, uh, was nice, I guess. <laughs> was nice in the, in the terrible situation that was 04. The whole thing just reaffirmed for me that that was by far the most painful Yankees loss of my lifetime. I will trade 04 even if they don't win the World Series. I've said this before. I will trade in that 04 for for almost anything. Given the choice between uh, flip the, the debate is always 01 versus 04. 01 versus 04. Yes, I understand. You can change the result of 01 and that's a World Series. You change the result of 04 and it's just a trip to the World Series. I will even just take that trip to the World Series to keep our our uh, keep Stepping on the throats of the Red Sox because to me, <laughs> to me, that was more important.
2: Well, it also changed the course of history because the the, the Red Sox team most likely would have been blown up after that. They, they mm-hmm. would have a very different roster. The momentum that they had, they just had to get that one. And the way that it happened, it, it did. You know, they talked about it. It cleared the slate. It was one of those those situations that um, you can't come back from. But you know, I the one of the things you mentioned just something recent just now that uh, caught me caught me differently. So you said, uh, the, you know, you a moment where you can relate to these millionaires for whatever reason. And it's probably cause I grew up with them and because they were homegrown. When you have a homegrown guy like that, like the, like Jeter, Pettit, Posada, Mariano, I actually don't re- think about them as like the baseball millionaire. I don't think of them as mm. I always, I always, you know, my head goes to free agents when that, when that happens. Um, the Kevin Browns, the David, you know, the, the guys that, that came over, even CC, those guys who came over and made all that money to come to the Yankees, those guys were brought up through the Yankees and like earned the Yankee dollars. And for whatever reason, maybe that just sounds ridiculous, but it, they, uh, they feel different in my head because I've always, I've always felt like those guys were relatable because of their workmanlike attitude. And, you know, because they won those World Series championships before they had contracts, they won it when they were you know, on league minimum, that's, that's really when they were, when they were thriving, uh, in during the, um, during the dynasty that they had. So I don't, asso- my brain doesn't associate those guys with, uh, with like the typical sports millionaires, if, uh, if that makes any sense. But, but yeah, the, the you know, it was, um, it definitely bothered them. And, and the fact that the Posada knew he's yeah, 1.9, that's it. I, I timed myself, and, you know, six inches, six inches, uh, to the second base side of the bag and he was out. Um, the the one the thing that the the memory that came back the most that like haunted me was that uh, was the um, the double that that Tony hopped Clark over the wall. Double. yeah, because it was yeah. it had no business going over that wall and and it went over that wall and that that's the game very possibly the game. Yeah,
3: yeah, I think it was Sheffield running. I or I forget who was running the, or maybe Sheffield said it. like the runner. The runner was on third base when the ball was going over the fence. Like if that ball just stays in the park, it's it's a double and a run standing up, no throw. And who knows if that changes things? But yeah, it it, it was just it was a really painful. And you know, the documentary talked about how it it was just a different vibe in the clubhouse and on the team, the team dynamic sort of described the 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 core four and the championship players that were still there versus all of the new pieces that were added to the roster and the divide that was there. And Cashman even said it. And I don't know, for whatever reason, Cashman is really bugging me in this documentary because I just feel like every time he opens his mouth, it's to try and make a point that All of any time the the Yankees failed during that time, it wasn't my fault. It was the players' fault. Oh, there was a divide in the clubhouse. It the the team chemistry wasn't right. Well, dude, that's also on you. The same way it's on you if you trade for someone that can't handle New York and and they they fail. Yeah, fine. All of the analytics and all of the all of the metrics said he's a good pitcher, but then he gets there and he he poops his pants on the mound. Like that's also part of it, man. Like you have to take the credit and the blame equally. So. Cashman has been bugging me with, with that kind of stuff because I just feel like every time he opens his mouth, it's to protect his own ass.
2: Well, I mean, a lot of Cashman's job also is to get the guys uh, and then allow the, the chemistry and the talent to do, to do the work. So, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I also agree with him to a point. Like he, His job goes up to a certain, certain point. And we can't just say just because someone didn't do well, it was a mental and it was it was always on the you know the lack of the quote common sense department to to flush that shit out some some guys just are put in that moment and then they can't handle it and there's really nothing to tell you that i mean we've seen some where there're signs that say yeah this guy's mentally not strong but in other cases that hasn't been the case there's been nothing there to say that that's going to happen so a lot of that is just you know once the player gets into the into the situation or the team chemistry isn't what it is um i, I didn't i didn't necessarily like how how Jeter kept talking about the the makeup of the team and and that being one of the reasons why they lost that 0-4 series because the makeup of the team and the and the winning attitude of the team was no problem when they went up 3-0 they had no problem getting to that point but then all of a sudden it's a problem and it's a reason why they couldn't get one more win on the fourth no that that part of it I don't buy I, I don't buy that I think that everything that they had that that season was was absolutely good enough and. They you know, they were right. A-Rod, the one thing I will agree with, Arod, whoever won that series was gonna win the World Series, right? So that was so that's I mean, I know that's part of the uh the arm wrestling match if you're if you're choosing one uh one or oh four to go a different way. Yes, oh four was not a World Series championship because, because the game that we're talking about or the series that we're talking about was the ALCS. But, you know, there's a big but there because the whoever won that, 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 that uh series was gonna be a heavy favorite going into the World Series. So it's almost you yeah, can almost I, g-
3: count that as a world series. I took Jeter's comments on that more about the fact that it was when they started to face adversity after losing game 4 and losing game 5 that he, the team that makeup of that team couldn't handle that pressure whereas maybe the previous team the dynasty team um would have been able to handle that better and closed it out in game 5 or game 6 never even let it, let it get to a game 7. So I don't know. Maybe I, I, that's how I read into those comments a little bit more because clearly they felt the pressure once it went back to uh, Yankee Stadium, and, yeah. and they talked about that. So maybe well, I, that's what he was alluding to. I think he
2: was alluding to that to to a degree, but at the same time, it's like if you had the the ability to get all the way to that point in three zero, like there's there's no even sure. if that pressure was a little different, you know, that's that's a winning game. game win a game. Yeah. And and I know that that
3: you were up, you were up late in games four and game five, and you couldn't close it out. I'm not, I'm not just blaming Mariano. Like it's not, it's not like, I mean, the, the starting rotation of, of the 2014 was complete hot garbage, but they still held the, the Red Sox down mostly in games four and games five, and they couldn't close the games out. Games six and seven were a different story, but four and five, they had opportunities.
2: Right. And and honestly, was there a lot of pressure uh, going into Game Four for the Yankees? No, there was no pressure going into the Game Four. They had they they whooped their ass in Game Three, went in and and were were riding high. So, could have been done either way. Uh, that that whole thing. Let's move move past that because that was uh, that was an annoying uh, thing to relive, unfortunately. And and Jeter goes back to it later in the in. I forget if it was the that episode or the following episode, but talking about the ones that I think it was in, in, in six when he's talking about the the which what could have been, but then also acknowledges that that's the exact loser mentality that he was referring to when Nomar was talking about it, um, as having the better team. So it's it's funny and, he, and he's he's like a conflict inside his head. He's like I don't want to think this way, but I do. I don't want to think this way, but I do.
3: Oh, I don't know that he was using the, I don't know that he was saying, oh, we had the better team. He was just saying that we, we should have won in 01, 03 and 04. Because they had the Um, better team. And he, well, they didn't have the better team in 04 though. Like the Red Sox were a better team in 2004. You could argue in 01 that they didn't either because they got, they were getting shoved. Right. Right. So, but, so in, in, but what, what I took that to mean is he was, instead of focusing on the wins. He was focusing on the losses, which both fueled him and also is a little bit of a detriment. Uh, and, and I think he just was, you know, dealing with that throughout his career. It was never enough. They talked about that in the previous episodes too. Jeter was one of these guys that it was never enough. He did acknowledge
2: that it was part of that loser mentality though, because he said we should have won. So he had a a, a bit of that understanding that the other side, like if if, well, if this had gone this way, and that's part of that mentality that he was, referring to as, as not being something that's, that's, you know, has a place in his own head or uh, in a place on, on his team. But um, yeah, you know, you, you, you see, you see, I think, I think what they did a really good job in this um, in these couple episodes, one, they were very, very focused on, on mentality. I think there was a lot of like, okay, what was going through your head? Why did certain things happen? Why did certain things play out in a certain way? And I thought it was interesting to hear just Jeter's response and the way that he would think about a particular, uh, situation. Um, and you know, 15, 20, however many years later it is, uh, just to, to get his, 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 his reaction, like what was going on in that brain. And I thought he did a pretty good job in actually being forthright.
3: Yeah. Then the documentary really got into two things. Uh, I guess one thing, two different paths, right? the, the media covering the team during that time and how much of a circus it was. And I think Feinstein had the quote, if you weren't making 10 million dollars, you weren't worth talking about and there was a boatload of guys on that team making 10 million dollars so there was always backpage headlines, of course focused around Jeter and A-Rod. And then also the the racial um the r- racial conversation, not only among Jeter but also how players on the Yankees were treated. It, and of course Sheffield's comments to uh, I forget who he was talking to that interview where he was saying he was he saw black was players on Gray? the Yankees. Yeah, black players treated differently on the Yankees than white players. And then of course the, the response to that was, well, Derek Jeter's black. And then Sheffield says Derek Jeter's not all the way black. And so like that whole dynamic. And then that leads into Wally's Matthews comments that Jeter is colorless. And this obviously was <laughs> Wally got crushed. Uh, uh Jeter's sister Jeter uh, Jeter's parents they were like w- 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 so they, they brought that into into
2: real time that was like a that yeah. was like a, almost like a break break in the wall, almost like a break in the wall <laughs> moment there right because because Wally was part of the production and he said these moments in real time and
3: then sure. and that's when they reacted to him I mean they showed him the footage probably and, and they yeah. got their reactions to it. Now I, and then I, I was actually going to DM Wally cause I, he, we follow each other on Twitter and we'll talk every now and again, I was going to DM him to try and have him on the show, but his account is suspended right now. So, uh, I don't know w- what's going on there. I think he, I, I don't know. I, a part of me understood what he was saying. Now, not that Derek Jeter identifies as colorless because he doesn't. He said, I was raised a black man. So that that's, you know, he identifies as, as a black person um, and has dealt with race his entire life. Uh, but, but part of me understood what Wally was saying in the sense that in the media, Jeter was never identified as or never portrayed as white or black. And among fans, he was almost treated as colorless i think maybe that's where wally was going with those comments
2: it, I, I just don't know it from him for him to say that it it, it has it, it has no nothing behind it it's just his it's just it's one man saying something about what he saw so i i i don't actually you, you can't you can't sit there and say that because you don't people don't know how fans react to to uh you know derek jeter's race. I think it's more of an at that time during that era they 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 discussed this. It was never it was never asked about. It wasn't it was never talked discussed. about. It was just never discussed. So when you're when you're looking at that, it was not a it was not a a, a point of of focal of focus from the media at all. It, it certainly wasn't. And then when Sheffield made these comments and was talking about how Tory you know treated people differently, that's when started you know when they when they started really focusing on what the relationship was between different players. And then oh by the way. Um, you know, there, there's there's a black man that that is the captain of of the team, and and the way Sheffield look, the way that Sheffield was saying it too is obviously I think that he felt his his words were misconstrued in the way that they were said. He reached out to Jeter, reached out to the family, did all of these things, but he started falling back on the reason why he was saying that, or the reason why Jeter was treated differently, was because of his statue stature as a player rather than who he was as a person or what his, his, his race is. So, you know, he was definitely backtracking, I think from, from some of the things that he said, but the, the, for fact, the, the, the fact that Wally Matthews came out and said that I I thought it was, I thought it was very dumb, first of all. And it was just not, he, he did not, if if he meant anything differently than what he said, it was not uh, constructed well with his words by any means. It sounded asinine.
3: Maybe he clarified and they didn't put that in the documentary. I have no clue. Because like he made two points there. He was saying no one ever asked Jeter because he wouldn't have answered the question, which is true. He would not have answered the question.
2: Well, maybe Jared Jeter also said nobody ever asked me.
3: Because yeah, and no one asked him because he spent a decade basically giving non-answers to the media. Like, and, I think and that, that, that was, was an a, assumption. Was there was an assumption. On purpose,
2: and they talked about the assumption, but it was more about the personal life. That That is, that is different. I mean, he has... While he was playing, he was certainly active in um off the field efforts with uh they went through that too, you know, talking about the Jackie Robinson Foundation. He was active yeah. in some social efforts as well. So it could have been brought up. He wasn't necessarily shying away from anything. He was actually, you know, behind the scenes, away from the field. He was uh, you know, he was doing his part in the community as well. So but it he wasn't was just never broken. He even no, said if you but speak But at the time, out- we, the time was different too. The the media was not necessarily diving into those those topics they just they just weren't it, it, around the Yankees.
3: Yeah, but he even said like look at Colin Kaepernick, you speak out and your career is over, right? So so I I don't think he would have answered the question. And and, and so that that was Wally's point like it never came up, the media never asked him. Cheater probably wouldn't have answered the question and also so so he was never in the media portrayed as white or black and and so the, it, it, it was just the Anyway, that, that's where I thought he was coming from. It didn't come across well. And obviously, you can't project onto someone that they identify as colorless. You can no. say, well, I don't, you know, I didn't, you know, put him in the white or black. Like, it's just, it, of course, he, he's he's both, right? He's, he's he's interracial. Like, and, and that's the reality of it. So it's a completely, uh, it was a completely asinine statement, like you said. And it's a very complex issue that uh, Jeter had to deal with. And it, yeah, so the documentary definitely went down that road uh, a lot, as well as the um, the dynamic between Jeter and A Rod some more, and how in the media Jeter never quote smoothed things over with A Rod, and Jeter's like, "What the hell does that mean? What do you want me to do? Like, what were you looking for me to do?" And even Cashman had a conversation with him about it, like, "Hey, if there's a problem, can you handle it, please?" because it's affecting the on-field stuff.
2: So the way Jeter always looked at that was if there were if there was an issue with people, he would handle it behind the scenes. He never would he never felt like he had to come out out front and and uh, support someone publicly or or you know with his words just he always felt like it was either it was either understood between the players or he'd handle it behind the scenes. And I think that's a lot of it. And and this stemmed from the booing of Arod on the field. And as as Jeter said, you know what you do on the field is a direct result of what the fans also do. As a counterpoint, that they react to what they see on the field. What am I going to do about that? Tell the fans to stop booing. Tell them to stop doing something. It's just not his style. That's not what he does. And to to think that I think it was it was also wrong of Ryan Cashman to to just assume that. Because Jeter was the captain of the team, that he would come out and just be something against his his personality and 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 t- like talk to the fans to not boo. No, he understood that that was their right. It was the fans um, were going to express themselves in in the way that they uh, in the way that they wanted to, and and him saying something wasn't gonna wasn't gonna help that. It wasn't gonna help A Rod play better on the field. It wasn't going to, you know, if Jeter said it was okay, even though A Rod's struggling, we don't have to boo him.
3: It's but kind of a A-Rod nonsensical Struggling, Arod was putting up MVP numbers. Yeah, but that's not when they were booing, booing
2: him. They were booing him at different
3: places. No. There, was, they there were, were boo- also th- points on
2: the field where he didn't come through. And again, right, subjective but- though. Subjective because when are you booing them and when are you not booing it? Are you booing at a particular moment? Are you booing over because of who he is? Are you booing? Yes. That is that's, not Jeter's he was getting to do
3: it. He was getting unfair boos at that time. For someone who was putting up that level of numbers, now, of course, he didn't come through in every big spot. No one does. But he, if he went three for four and then the one not hit, the one time he struck out, was in the eighth inning of, of a tie game or something with a runner on third base, he would get booed, even if he went three for three with three doubles earlier in the game. And that's not normal. That wouldn't happen for most players. If you it, it, For the numbers he was putting up, year in and year out, for the amount of booing he was getting. And and. I have no doubt in my mind a part of it was the Jeter rod dynamic.
2: Well, and it was also the contract. The contract was one of the biggest contracts that had come over uh, for a free agent with with the the lure of a of a of a guy coming over. The fans expected him to deliver when it, when it when it was the most because the guys that came before him did that without those massive contracts. So, if you're coming in getting paid the most and all of a sudden you're 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 supposed to be this this offensive juggernaut and you're you're making your money between innings you know, one in six and you're not coming through in the end when it matters, like that's not good enough. That's not, that's not what you're getting paid those big dollars. For. So, so to say that the, so that it was unjustly booed or, or that it was unfair. I don't agree with that. I, I think the fans have the right to boo them whenever they want. And that guy, specifically that guy has a massive target on his head. Uh, you know, when he walked in the door and he knew that there, there was a, there was no doubt about that. The, the expectations were He was were never
3: going to be loved by no. Yankees fans like Jeter was loved by Yankees For sure. fans and if he ever thought he was then he was completely misguided but do you know why also I think Jeter didn't step in? maybe Jeter didn't step in because that's not what he believed in but I also think a part of him didn't step in because he liked that A-Rod was getting booed because a little he hated bit of that. A-Rod he hated A-Rod but he if didn't he also want to smooth things over because he didn't like A-Rod he didn't want to smooth things over I also think
2: if he supported him, now all of a sudden he's tied to him, and he's he's like he's, and this is this is another thing that he's talked about. Like I'm keeping you at an arm's length. I'm going to be cordial. I'm going to do all the things in the front, but I'm not going to be I'm not going to be doing the extra efforts. And if Jeter were to come out and, and publicly support Alex Rodriguez and publicly support and tell the fans not to do this, now you're now you're you're kind of affecting what people think of Jeter because he's supporting that guy and telling people what to do around that guy. Um, you don't and have I think to
3: tell people what to do, he, to
2: but but he, but Jeter wants to control his things. He wants to control everything around him. He wants to control what people can think of him because of of the the actions that he has. If he comes out and publicly supports or or you know, whatever, just puts that that little uh, anointing or, or just support behind him in the public eye, that's that's kind of tying yourself to him now. And and now you're out of control because if that guy does something, kind of coming back to you a little bit.
3: But it's not even—he didn't have to sit there on a podium and declare that I support A. Rod and fans shouldn't boo him. Like that's unrealistic and that would be silly. But what about the moments like when there's that drop pop up between short and third and it falls on the ground and Jeter stares daggers through A. Rod's soul? You don't think that—you don't think that gets noticed by fifty thousand fans and fifty and five million people watching at home and all that stuff? Like that will eventually come through. It's like, oh, Jeter hates A-Rod. A-Rod just struck out. I love Jeter. I'm going to boo A-Rod. Like, it's not that tricky to figure out how this all happened, okay? It was very obvious that there was something wrong between these two. Very obvious.
2: I mean, there's no doubt that it was known. <laughs> there, there, there is. And yes, that, that play on the field, daggers were sent. Because uh, you know, who knows really what happened in that moment? From what Jeter says, he he was like just kind of back to A. Rod. He's just like, okay, no, 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 you got it. Like he he just he just he's so wishy washy. And he, Jeter knew that it was such a fundamental play that was botched by the other guy. That that it's a it's it's it, you know a little bit of a clown show. And I think that's the piece of it is that A. Rod was so unpredictable and with with the things that he did beyond, you know, just mashing the shit out of the ball. And Jeter hated that. Jeter hated that because he was all business and this guy just wasn't. He had drama attached to him. He was like, you know, there was just like a, just a little stench around him. Always, always a little stench around him. And Jeter wanted no part of that stench.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: The Godfather comparison was great. Hilarious. Like, the fact that the media had that running joke. Like I wish that article was written back in two thousand and six. Like yeah, they, they should have just ponied it up and and written that article.
2: It's pretty um, good, too. not gonna not gonna comment on who Fredo was. I think we all know who yeah.
3: Fredo was. <laughs> not, if you've seen the Godfather once, you know who Fredo was. and then it, the 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 episode five leading into episode six started to talk about Jeter's aging and his defensive lapses and and actually how he had to train differently to get better defensively. And he did get better defensively for a little while there. But the, converse, the the difficult conversations that were happening internally, you know, among Yankees front office and everything, and how Jeter seemingly had no idea because maybe people on the field were too afraid to approach Jeter and tell him, hey, like you've got to work on your range here. You're, you're costing the team runs. Um, I found that fascinating because first of all, that's a problem. If you can't approach Derek Jeter if he's risen to a status where you can't approach him when he's hurting the team then then he's risen to a, a status that no one should reach right like that's a problem
2: it, it's a it's a problem first of all how do you not realize that you're not playing well? right <laughs> okay right. first of all that's, that's the first thing I'm like how do you not on.
3: realize that ball yeah. in the shortstop hole yeah. I should have gotten to.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's no doubt he knows. Someone should have just told me I wasn't playing well. Well, I mean, you, you come on. There's a little bit of uh, dis you know, not very, a little disingenuous. Uh, I think on, on the, on the self reflection there. But, um, no. I mean, guys definitely got to tell him, and you, 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 or they have to be able to have a conversation like that for him. So the fact that he trained, I think that was more of like, oh, yeah, I didn't want to admit it to myself, or I didn't want to. To, to pony up internally and and now that people are are also talking about it it's becoming more of a um more of a narrative and and more of a real problem, so I got to do things a little differently so credit to him for for identifying that he needed another training, but it does seem like it it was brought it finally clicked in a very strange way. It should have clicked earlier, I guess, and i don 't know you know you, you go along and you do the same things for such a long amount of time and you just you believe in yourself that that it's going to correct itself or the right thing is going to happen because it always has. And then when it doesn't, that's when, you know, you do need that, that, that extra, you know, that third party, I think just making it, making it very clear that, Mm -hmm. hey, things got to change a little bit in in the way to, to sustain, you know, the play that you've had in the past.
3: Are you a little surprised at how critical the documentary has been on Jeter's leadership like, of course, they highlight a lot of the good things, but they've, they've brought up a, a lot of times where they were like, well, I thought Jeter would have done something differently here. I thought he could have done more here to maybe lead the team better, especially in those years when they didn't win the championship. I actually think the documentary spent a lot of time questioning Derek Jeter's leadership.
2: You know, the que- I like how they show all sides of it. I really do. I think it's a, so far been, been pretty fair on... Uh, on looking at both sides, you know, all of the positives, but then some of the negatives. But but the thing is, is that I think a lot of the negatives were were really not not negatives in 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 like why he should have been. It, it was really just personality traits. And that his personality just doesn't fit with this with a particular type of uh situation sometimes. Like he's not gonna go out of his way. He's not an outspoken leader. He's not that rah-rah guy that a lot of people I think were looking for. And so when people are pointing to that. You know he should have taken them out more. He should have been like the you know more embracing well, with he some of the people that. off the field. He yes, but in the that. moment you expecting that from the guy without having some type of conversation or just like uh, assuming that it's going to happen is is a little dense, I think, too, because you know what his personality is. You know who he is, and the guy leads by example more so than anything, and and handles things behind the scenes. He's not this rah rah exactly
3: leads by example, and he wasn't leading by a good example when he was. Basically making it obvious, I, f- I fucking hate our third baseman.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: And, <laughs> and I, that's where also I think the disconnect a really was. good player. Our third baseman, who happens to be our, our best player, statistically, I, I, I can't stand. Okay. And Joel Sherman, I think, said it like the 2006 MB, MVP race was Jeter's best chance at winning an MVP. And ironically, he didn't do the thing that could have been the quote, most valuable to the Yankees. And that is smooth things over with A Rod.
2: Okay, if that and if that, there's here's again part of why the the voting for MVP the voting for Hall of Fame all this bullshit. No, I'm not saying it would have won. Unbelievably in the MVP. nonsensical. No, 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 I'm not but, saying it. But Joe Sherman in the MVP. practically admitted that 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 the reason why MVP because MVP is supposed to be just about the numbers, right? And then and then yeah, you have some tiebreakers, no. Some, no some intangibles. Hold the, it, on, it,
3: it's like purpose. Okay, that's made.
2: why Alex Rodriguez won the MVP when he played with Texas, right? Yeah, it was
3: it was more than the numbers. Sometimes it's about the numbers. Sometimes it's not. The which fact is why it's the, asinine.
2: The fact the fact that because he didn't smooth it over with his asshole third baseman was considered in an MVP vote is absolutely ridiculous.
3: I don't think ridiculous. Sherman was saying it was considered in an MVP vote. I was, but it could have swayed them was, the other way? No, I don't think he was saying that either. I think what he was saying is that, ironically, Jeter, who always did the right thing, didn't do the right thing that season. And it wouldn't have mattered MVP or not MVP. I think, what was it? Uh, Morneau won the MVP that yes, year. So Morneau was Morneau. probably going to win the MVP that year, regardless of what Jeter, if Jeter and A-Rod had more sleepovers, if <laughs> he invited them over for a slumber party, he still wasn't going to win the MVP. See, and, and even that, because because of,
2: it's, I think it's important context to remember who these two individuals are also and all of the drama that surrounds A-Rod. The closer Jeter would, would get, whether he liked him or not and just played the case, the more he supported him, the more he smoothed it over in the public eye. The more the two of them are now gelled together in pub in narratives, and and how how closer they are in the way that people speak about them. And Jeter just didn't want that. He, you know, what, whether he knew other things or not, because you know, there are still skeletons in the closet. He admitted in six, I'm never going to tell, never going to say anything about people um, that are close to me, never going to bury someone for for no reason. Who knows? But you know what. As the when he when he went, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit when he's talking about the um, the Alex Rodriguez steroids, it was a distraction. It's almost like, you know what? it finally came out, and now it's a distraction. like you know like it's almost if, if if Jeter knew about those things, like I'm not going to be next to you, I don't even want to stand next to you in the field, let alone be supportive of you, and now all of a sudden we're connected in some article that we are doing the same things and we're chummy because we're not yeah, we're not that's chummy. A good point. And there's a very, there's <laughs> a very line there. CC's comments are so funny. CC's
3: comments, are, it's my first week here. We're doing this shit already. Really, yeah. this is how it's gonna be? I just signed seven years, and we got steroid scandals in my first week on the job. Come on, guys, get it together.
2: And you're telling me that Derek Jeter didn't hear rumblings of that or know something about that? I guarantee he did. And,
3: but he's Gitter's no, like, he's fine. He's fine being buddy buddy with Andy Pettit. Well, because Andy Pettit's Andy, not an a hole.
2: Well, and Andy was just trying to get back to his team. He's just, just trying try to, to, help the just team. Try to help the team out, man. Just trying to oh. help the team. But, and uh, so I, I do think there's a, there's a part of that is that Jeter just did not want to be associated in any way, shape or form with Alex Rodriguez in any headlines, in any narrative, in any, anything combined. And he was there next to him. And he's going to be a, a, a teammate on the field and not speak up about him having a problem. But you're right. Going back to a couple of episodes ago, he did have a problem. He didn't want him here in the first place. Should have spoken he
3: up here. then. Well, should have spoken up,
2: and that's that's probably part of of where where he you know thinking back. If you got like truth serum and gave it to Jeter, I bet Jeter says, "Yeah, I I, I walk in there and say um, I have a problem." But at the same time, would it have mattered?
3: Uh, do you think if he could do it over, he would have spoken up and said, "I have a problem"? Because you're right, might that's not have mattered. Or, have mattered. That's what I'm talking about. Or or would he have treated a Rod differently in the whole situation, a little differently? in hindsight, because in the moment, it's hard. You've got hate for someone and you're annoyed by someone and it's it's more raw emotion, it's hard to do something. But now, I'm sure 20 years later, he looks at it, or not quite 20 years later, 18 years later, he looks at it and he's like, you know, maybe I could have handled, he did, he said it, maybe I could have handled some situations differently. Yeah, but the whole the
2: whole A Rod situation, I I I think that that one still to this day he looks back and is like I want nothing to do with this guy, you know. And then and then when the steroid uh, steroid situation comes out and and he's, um, you know, guilty in every in every person's eyeball, Jeter's just like this this fucking guy, this fuck, he just can't stop. He just can't stop well, having it about him, whether it's negative or positive or whatever it is. It's just like. I, I can't stand that type of person who is always making it about them. And that was a big deal for Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter wanted it always to be about the team. And when a guy like Alex Rodriguez walks in the door, it's not about the team anymore. It's about Alex Rodriguez. And then also it's about Alex Rodriguez and how he gets along with people. And then it's about the fans and Alex Rodriguez. And then it's about how the team supports Alex Rodriguez because the team isn't doing well. It's It's just storyline after storyline after storyline. And Jeter wants nothing to do with it because he wants everything written, which happened in in the 90s, about what they did on the field. And when Alex Rodriguez walked through those goddamn doors, it became instant drama. And Jeter Mm. hated that.
3: Right, because what did he say? My my approach with the media was... Don't have controversy, don't make headlines, try and get things yes. off of the back page, not onto right. the back page. And when A-Rod is tits out for the boys in the park sunbathing, that's gonna be on the back page. And that's the thing, like Jeter's Jeter's leadership style was to deflect
2: and sometimes yeah. take ownership. Or and same with Tori. Tori would do he would he would absorb. He would absorb some of the things so that the drama didn't get pushed out. Both of those guys did a, a fantastic job with with managing the media in that sense. They never had an angle to take that would, that would change the perception or disrupt what was happening in the locker room. And when you insert Alex Rodriguez was a freaking buzzsaw tornado, a bull in a china cabinet, you just can't avoid it. It's like you're doing everything you can to, to avoid shrapnel, but you can't avoid it because it's coming in every direction.
3: And it actually took until they added different types of personality to the clubhouse where that buzz saw and then Jeter's steadfast mentality was able to actually win. Like you needed CC Sabathia, you needed AJ Burnett, you needed Mark Teixeira, who I think who was it that said he's he's most likely to have a butler. And I still don't needed, understand that. Like because he's streamlined. He, I mean yeah. And you needed uh, Swisher in there. Of course they're all they all performed on the field, but you needed those personalities in there. You needed, I mean Cece, um you know, the more we learn about CeCe, the, the the more he just becomes an all time great Yankee, just for yeah. everything he did for that clubhouse.
2: Well, I, I think the reason why those guys were so important because of their personalities, because their personalities were very were, were very specific on one side. They were all fun guys. They, I mean, Swisher, you can't turn it off. The positivity is just oozing out of his toes. And then you have CeCe who just who's just like you know this this uh, fun loving dude. But he will dude. take
3: the guys out to dinner, right? Like he yes. CC unlike Jeter in those days where like He's maybe I should have spent more time with with new players off the field any new that guy that came into the Yankees clubhouse CC was probably like come over we're cooking we're cooking today. Right, like sort yeah, of thing.
2: part of the family and then A-J Burnett you know brought that that whole the 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 fun just like joking pie in the face him yeah. and Swisher were you know playing off of each other so i think that that clubhouse needed the, um, the, almost the comedy, the, just like the fun to cut the, to, relax. to cut they the tension, to, relax. to cut the damn yeah. tension. And that's when Jeter started relaxing a little bit. And and it became less of a focus of the Jeter A-Rod relationship and more of like, let's just have fun on the field. Let bygones be bygones, play baseball. And that's what it became. and It was easier to separate from, from the drama at that point.
3: Kim Jones said that was the happiest she ever saw Jeter in 2009. Was that? Yeah. Year? probably because he was more relaxed. It, 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 some pressure was was released. And then obviously he had to, I thought the documentary did a really great job transitioning like immediately after that 09 success into the late Jeter career and him having to chase 3,000 hits, which was a struggle for him. And then of course dealing with the ankle injuries and just dealing with going into retirement. Thought it that, that was all really well handled, really interesting stuff. And how Jeter wanted to go out on his own terms versus how he saw Bernie and Posada and some other Yankees legends get completely pushed out at the ends of their their careers because as Buster only said the Yankees are historically ruthless with aging superstars.
2: Yeah. I mean that's just <laughs> that's that's Derek Jeter PR 101. Like that the way that he handles things is he's always tried to and that's again, not to not to beat a dead horse here, but that's exactly why I think that the A-Rod dynamic was just never good for him because he couldn't control it. He couldn't control it. And if the closer he got, the more he know he, he would be associated with it. But announcing his own, doing it ahead of time, taking the Yankees completely out of control with their, like, this is what's happening. I'm controlling this. Uh, you know, it's just, it's one-on-one, Derek Jeter. It's, it's exactly what I expect that Aaron Judge will do at some point because I feel like, the more and more I watch this, the more and more I feel like they are definitely talking behind the scenes.
3: You think Jeter gave out a gift basket at least once in his life, so I. There were some things that were very interesting about this. Okay,
2: when they were when they uh, when they interviewed the the um, the Page Six editor, the the the, um, the producer there for for all of the the things, they definitely alluded to that they, that there were uh, you know sexual relations between between of the partners. course and the fact of that she's backing course. off of that and just saying no when she was talking about, oh, they were just there for like a party or a gathering and yeah. they had it the downstairs. I'm like, I'm like, wait, 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 what? That, that's not, that is not what I remember being the, the actual narrative. And obviously once something like that gets, gets thrown out there, it gets driven home, just driven home that one piece of it. So I do think that there was probably memorabilia of some sort in a thing, but it had nothing to do with, it was maybe for a party or something like that, that was, that was, uh, you know, part of the transportation that was arranged by the party or whatever it was. And they were in there, potentially. So I, I don't think it was a one-on-one thing. But I, I, uh, I have a feeling there was probably some type of memorabilia for, for some type of function.
3: I have heard rumors that it was a stolen basket of memorabilia f- by oh. a girl who okay. was, at, was at a party at, at, with Jeter. Like There was a party, and I'm sure Jeter was maybe dating or hooking up with some or many of the girls there but that this girl specifically who ended up going to Page Six stole things from, from Jeter's apartment.
2: Maybe. I mean, this is all hearsay. This whole entire thing is all hearsay. But, uh, you know, the fact that they weren't allowed in with cell phones and they had to go, I would be surprised if they were, you know, she was, like, smuggling out a ton of memorabilia. <laughs> Jeter had-
3: Jeter had the, uh, like how Chappelle, if you go to a Chappelle show now, you got to put your phone in a bag yeah, like Jeter was black. doing that a decade ago.
2: Yeah. Genius. I mean, this is, again, you, you look at all of the things around Derek Jeter. If you start adding them up and making a checklist of how, how he controlled the narrative, it's wild. So you, you buck that system and, and things get a little crazy. So I, I, I always thought it was overblown. I always thought it was embellished in some capacity. I, I didn't, I don't know how it was, but it, it didn't, it certainly didn't, didn't, uh, didn't sound like it was his brand to do something like that, for sure.
3: Last I thing I want to talk Rodriguez about. doing that. Last thing I want to talk about is who do you think is to blame for the Jeter contract negotiations in 2011 going public? Randy Levine. <laughs> when they said Randy Levine was in there, in that meeting, I was like,
2: oh, there it is. There it is. It was Cashman, Hal, and Levine. Take that, you 2018 motherfuckers, <laughs> ni- yeah. 1918
3: motherfuckers.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, Levine. Someone was leaking, or, or, or they had a maybe maybe uh, someone had someone had the uh, you know one of the one of the people that was working the party or whatnot. I don't know. Obviously, it got leaked. It would not surprise me if Levine was the guy that leaked it in some capacity, and then it got out there. So, it was a, uh, well, it was. It was very strange, though, because you think that Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner would want to keep it behind closed doors. You think that those well, two guys would,
3: given the situation? You'd think so, but we've seen recent events that Brian Cashman did not keep, pub- uh, did not keep private. He sat there 20 minutes before first pitch of the season and said, True. this is exactly what we offered Aaron Judge, and he said no. True,
2: I, and and maybe we'll find out later that that was uh, you know something that's supposed to be kept behind the scenes. Is that actually now that you bring that up, it's eerily similar in how how some of that is going down. It's very weird.
3: Um, so I think it was Brian Cashman that went to the media back maybe. in those days because he he understood what Jeter's value was. I'm not saying Brian Cashman was wrong. He understood he's not a good shortstop anymore, but we have no choice but to keep him at shortstop. This is this is the, the reality of the team. So we're certainly not going to overpay for a, an aging shortstop at this point. And then if he says no to this, well, then I'm going to have to go to the media and show why we offered this. And, and and I believe that's what happened. And of course, that rubbed Jeter the wrong way. And Jeter doesn't like Cashman. It's very obvious. Jeter doesn't like Cashman. Said, I, don't, I didn't want to see him or talk to him after those negotiations.
2: Yeah. I'm wondering how the relationship is today, if it's changed uh, since, I don't since think it's good. time has gone With the way by. Cashman
3: is speaking in this and the way jeter reflects on it i don't think their relationship is good
2: yeah wouldn't surprise me i mean we we know the mo uh once you once you cross me you're not going to get back in the good graces so i i get it uh but it is very interesting to see the parallels right now with what happened with judge before the season and how the i mean they had a freaking press conference it's not like they leaked it they had a press conference to talk about it so let's control maybe they're trying to take the page out of jeter's book and control the narrative which which backfired because it only works in certain situations
3: I would like to see Brian Cashman have to answer the questions this offseason and go to the media with, well, you know, Aaron Judge, yeah, I know he hit 68 home runs this year. Yeah, I know he moved to center field this year, but this is why we're only offering him this much money.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's pretty wild. And I know Soto's not on the market anymore, but um, (laughs) this is, uh, yeah, so I think you're right. I think maybe there was a, there was a play there for, for Cashman. I think, uh, I think that's, that's interesting. It's interesting. It definitely didn't work. Hanley Ramirez being the guy and now he's, a, he's a staring at him. I, well, it was always Troy Tulawitsky that, that, that was the, uh, but he says, no, no, the, I remember the name. It was Hanley Ramirez. Hanley Ramirez is the guy that, that he wanted.
3: So I guess Michael. uh, excuse me, I guess Cashman was on the Michael K show and Jeter had asked him to be on the deck, the documentary. So, um, that's interesting.
2: I think Jeter does want all— He doesn't want to uh, be the guy hiding anymore. He wants this thing to be out. I think that's part of the reason why this is here. I love how he during the gift basket thing, and he was pointing, I I assume uh, it was Randy Wilkins who he was looking at and talking to. Um, You even believed it. You even believed it. Like he was talking to the guys who are doing this whole— Everyone believed it.
3: Yeah. You know why everyone believed it? You know why? Because
2: we wanted to believe it.
3: Yes. Yes. yes, because it was finally something juicy on Derek Jeter. We all wanted it to be true because it's so ridiculous. It's just funny. We wanted it to be true because we wanted him to be human. We wanted there to be some human element to this freak.
2: Yeah, no, it's true. Everybody did want it. it wasn't even like that bad. It wasn't a bad thing. Everybody just everybody did want that to happen. Uh, that's that's funny, but. Really good. I thought I thought these last two were good. I thought they really dove into the psyche of different situations um, for Jeter, and I thought it was really interesting. The whole Hannah, yeah. the whole Hannah Davis relationship too. You could tell she's just like one of those people, and we're, for him, it's like I I am who I am. I'm going to say what I want to you, and and he you know appreciates that. And a lot of times, you know, that's that's needed in a relationship. But I'm glad she's she's definitely a part of this. I haven't heard her talk this much to be honest, um, and she's. Uh, she definitely, she, she, she definitely fits in well. You can see, you could tell that w- why the relationship works. You know, he was, she was so disconnected from Derek Jeter, the baseball player, which makes a lot of sense as to why this, you know, that, that initial um, spark was there because they were just kind of meeting each other for the first time and just not really knowing who each other were. And that's, that's
3: cool. Do you think the last episode, because there's one more episode, not two more episodes, and yeah. we're basically at the his retirement tour at this point. You can't spend an entire episode on a retirement tour. Do you think it's going to get into post-retirement days with the Marlins at, at all? Like, where do you think this this last episode is going to go?
2: Um I think that, yeah, it's going to go, I mean, it's gone chronologically, so I just assume it's going to go through all that, What how everything went down. I do think that the way that they're talking about things kind of out in the open, I think they're going to talk about some of the relationships and where they kind of are and how it affected um, the Marlins. I wouldn't even be surprised to to, to hear some more dialogue about him, um, you know, going to the Marlins front office, the whole Stanton trade because he and Cashman also had to make a deal at that point. I would be, I would really love for them to go all the way to to that so that we can hear some of that dynamic because I think that's a really interesting situation. The fact that Derek Jeter was at the helm making a massive trade with the New York Yankees and Brian Cashman for a massive player. So I think that's a really uh, fascinating dynamic and I, and I hope they go into it.
3: Also, last thing, shame on you, Susan, for not saving that voicemail.
2: I know. I love Susan Waldman.
3: <laughs> she also probably thought it was like a prank because, like, you'd get a voicemail from Derek Jeter saying he's retiring. Like, what, what are you kidding me? And then he tried to get a-, a hold of Hal, and Hal wasn't picking up. Very, very funny how that all went down. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm excited to watch the last episode. Uh, Scott and I are going to be recording again after the Cardinals series. So that'll be out on Monday, and we'll talk to you then. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show.